This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. E-commerce logistics making you question why you started your business. Time to outsource fulfillment to the experts over at ShipBob. Get a free quote at shipbob.com. ShipBob. You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. I think I know the guy that, is this, uh, what's his name's mama's house? I think so, yeah, Keith. Sometimes, if you're really lucky as a reporter, someone is willing to give you a personal tour of their hometown. And it's really the best way to see a place. That's what happened when producer Ryan Kelman and I visited Port Arthur, Texas earlier this year. Our tour guide was former city council member John Beard. You know, that, then that's my old high school there, Lincoln High School. And that's where also the band used to practice when I was in band. What was your instrument? Clarinet, unfortunately. John's roots in Port Arthur are so deep. Now, where that little yellow house is, my aunt lived there. That's the Jacquette family home. Willie Jacquette is my wife's mother's cousin. That was my godparents' house. And right here is where I was born and raised. Ain't much down here no more. This used to be a happening strip through here. There were beer joints, stores, confectionaries, barbecue pits, you name it, was all there. The neighborhoods he's pointing out were once the thriving core of Black Port Arthur. This was uh, the Esquire Barbershop where I used to get my hair cut. But this area is nothing like what it used to be, I'm telling you. Nothing at all. The neighborhoods we drove through were pockmarked with empty lots. A lot of houses had blue tarps on their roofs or were missing windows. In some areas, whole blocks were empty. And Beard says one reason that Black neighborhoods in his city are struggling is that people whose homes were damaged or destroyed in storms haven't gotten adequate help from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA. And this is the second piece you've brought us about FEMA, Becky. Last week, we talked about your investigation, which found that low-income disaster survivors are less likely to get some types of housing assistance from FEMA. Yeah, and today I want to talk about the growing body of evidence that FEMA doesn't do a good job serving people of color who survive disasters and dig into what that means for people and for neighborhoods. I'm Ritu Chatterjee with Rebecca Hersher. Today on the show, why the federal government's response to disasters is unfair to people of color and how that can ripple through entire communities. You're listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. This message is brought to you by Apple Pay. Fussing with plastic cards should be a thing of the past. Instead, pay the Apple way. Apple Pay is easy, secure, and built into iPhone. All you have to do is set it up. Just add a card in the Wallet app and you're good to go. This message comes from NPR sponsor Bluehost, introducing Wondersuite. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few questions and get a unique, customizable WordPress website or store right away. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Becky, let's start with some basics about FEMA. This is the agency that helps people get back on their feet after disasters, right? Mm -hmm. What do we know about who exactly gets FEMA help? Right. So FEMA is providing this really crucial housing assistance. So money to repair your house or pay rent, basically. Mm -hmm. And this is what our investigation found. So if you're poor, you're less likely to receive some types of housing assistance. And when you do get money, you often receive less. Mm -hmm. And FEMA's own internal analyses confirm this. Mm -hmm. But here's the catch. 
academic research shows that there are similar disparities between white disaster survivors and people of color. But FEMA says it has not conducted similar analyses about race. So there's this research evidence showing all of this. Um, What did you find about how that's really bearing out for families and entire communities? Yeah, so that's why I went to Port Arthur. You know, for years, I've been running across individual families in Black and Latinx neighborhoods Mm -hmm. who had trouble getting help from FEMA after hurricanes, specifically. But the research I was reading suggested that entire neighborhoods were being affected. And Port Arthur is a really good place to go if you want to see the effects of hurricanes on whole neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Because it's surrounded by water, it is right on the Gulf of Mexico, and it's been hit by four hurricanes since 2005. Wow. And FEMA has provided assistance after every one of those storms. But it sounds like the assistance hasn't really helped Port Arthur's Black neighborhoods. Becky, what did you learn about why Black residents haven't gotten adequate help? Right. So one reason seems to be a kind of paperwork issue. Mm -hmm. And I saw a really good example of this in a neighborhood called El Vista in Port Arthur. So this is one of the few places that Black residents could live when the city was officially segregated. It is extremely Mm low-lying. And it got hit really hard by Hurricane Harvey back in 2017. Everything here got flooded. Everything. And I'm going to really show you something that's going to blow your mind. So John Beard took me down to visit a homeowner who lives there. Her name's Shirley Payne. Hi, how you doing? Miss Payne home? And Shirley's house is brick. It's one of the only ones left on her block. She raised her kids in this house. She raised her grandchildren in this house. And when we arrived, her great-granddaughters were playing outside. But during Harvey, she had four feet of water in this house. And she says the only reason she was able to rebuild is because she didn't have to rely on FEMA. She had insurance. But she says a lot of her neighbors, they weren't so lucky. They needed money from FEMA. But they didn't have the paperwork that showed they owned their homes. A lot of people... The houses wasn't in their name. I mean, is this because the houses were passed down through families? Yeah, a lot of them were, exactly. Like, maybe the house was in a grandparent's name or a sibling's name, or maybe it was owned collectively, you know? Hmm. So it had been passed down and each family got a little piece of the ownership over the years. And that's really common in many historically segregated communities in the U.S., Payne says it took months or even years to iron out the paperwork for houses like that. And elderly neighbors and people with young kids, they just couldn't wait that long for stable housing. They couldn't afford to pay the cost of a hotel or an apartment, and that left them no choice but to leave. A lot of these houses you see down the street here, the one that's still boarded up, that's the result of Harvey. It's just, it's just sad. It's just sad. And today, about a quarter of the houses around there are empty. Mm-hmm. And I asked Shirley's granddaughter if she would want to inherit her grandmother's house, you know, raise her daughters there. And she said no, wow. that she feels like Black Port Arthur is dying. Hmm. And is there evidence that this type of thing is happening in other places after disasters? Yeah. So so proving home ownership, this problem, it has showed up in Black neighborhoods after Hurricane Katrina. Hmm. It has showed up for residents of Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. And there's a growing body of research that actually uses census data and financial data to try to quantify what those disparities do to families. So. Huh. 
For example, there was this study done after Hurricane Harvey, and it focused on Houston. And it found that bankruptcy rates spiked by almost 40% after the hurricane in neighborhoods where racial minorities lived. Because people in those neighborhoods were less likely to receive some types of FEMA assistance. And what is FEMA's response to this? Well, FEMA acknowledges it has a problem. Um, I interviewed Keith Turry. He's FEMA's assistant administrator for recovery. And he said the first step is for the agency to start gathering data about race. Uh, We're not currently collecting demographic data for the survivors that we serve. We do plan uh, to add that to our collection in the near future. And did he did he give details on what the near future meant in terms of a time frame? No, he didn't. And FEMA didn't respond to any follow-up questions about how this would work or whether that information would be available to the public or any other concrete steps it's taking to make its programs more fair. Okay, so they are not telling you um, anything about this, but I mean, you've talked to a lot of experts, right, Becky? Um, What are some potential solutions here to address these racial disparities? Right. So, yeah, I I really focused on interviewing disaster experts and sociologists, especially about this. Hmm. And one idea that came up a lot is to limit who's eligible for FEMA assistance, you know, make it more like Hmm. SNAP benefits or Medicaid. So only people below a certain income or wealth threshold would be eligible. Another idea is to stop relying on disaster survivors to apply for help. You know, basically use the information the government already has to get money to those who need it the most, including people in marginalized communities. So you mean the fact that the government already knows who uses public health care or gets money to pay for food Mm -hmm. or who's a military veteran or has kids in the school system. So just use that information. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And I talked to Chauncey Willis about this. She's the former emergency manager for Tampa, Florida, and she's also the co-founder of the Institute for Diversity and Inclusion and Emergency Management. And this is how she put it. We need to understand first who has the greatest need and who has the least access. And we're going to start from there. When you start from there, it benefits everyone. I mean, that sounds like an obvious, logical approach. But we all know that changing the way a government agency does its work, it's a very slow undertaking. Mm -hmm. I mean, FEMA didn't even give you a time frame for all of this. Did you hear about anything that might push the agency to be more equitable? Yeah. So first of all, I have to say, if you ask the agency, it's all about studying the problem and really understanding who is not getting the help they need. Like, if FEMA can fully understand the problem, then FEMA feels it can fix the problem. Sure. But again, that's going to take a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And if you talk to people like Chauncey Willis, she says, actually, what needs to happen is Congress needs to step Hmm. in. So there's this law that governs how disaster aid is distributed, Mm -hmm. and it is all about preventing fraud. That's why all of those stringent requirements exist that we talked about earlier, you know, to prove that you live in a place or that you own your house, for example. But Willis and others say that is slowing FEMA down. It is making it really hard for people to get the help they need and that the law needs to change if FEMA is going to be more equitable. I have to say, though, so far, no one in Congress has seriously proposed that. Becky, Thank you so much for digging into this and bringing your reporting to the show. We really appreciate you. Thanks, Ritu. 
This episode was edited by Giselle Grayson, produced by Thomas Liu, and fact-checked by Indy Kara. The audio engineer for this episode was Peter Elena. Thanks for listening. This is Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. Capitalism touches every part of our lives. Capitalism is a giant force that I don't understand. I feel that it's a very safe system. I am constantly in fear of losing my job. It is our biggest success and our biggest failure. On this special series from Throughline, Capitalism. Listen now to the Throughline podcast from NPR. This message comes from EarthX. This April, the EarthX 2024 Congress of Conferences is the sustainability summit you won't want to miss. Five days of conferences covering the built environment, the natural environment, e-capital, oceans, and conservation. EarthX brings together business executives, nonprofits, and educators to engage in powerful conversations about energy, tech, media, and beyond for one important mission, protecting the planet. Please join them and register at earthx.org. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXLLearning.com. Spend time in any American city, and you'll likely encounter someone with untreated psychosis. Lost Patients is a new podcast examining our maze-like system for treating severe mental illness, which loses patients to an endless loop between the streets, jail, and hospitals. Does it have to be this way? For the history, the reality, and hopefully some solutions, listen to Lost Patients from KUOW and the Seattle Times, part of the NPR Network.